Order. Before I call the Prime Minister, may I express on behalf of the House the best wishes to President Biden and Vice President Harris on this, the inauguration day. We now come to questions to the Prime Minister. I will first call the Prime Minister to answer the engagements question, and then I will call Alex Shelbrook to ask his supplementary. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I know members from across the House will want to join me in echo you in congratulating President-elect Biden on his inauguration later today. As I said when I spoke with him on his election as President, I look forward to working with him and with his new administration, strengthening the partnership between our countries and working on our shared priorities from tackling climate change, building back better from the pandemic and strengthening our transatlantic security. Mr Speaker, our sympathies also go out to those affected by the latest floods, and I want to thank the Environment Agency and our emergency services for the work they're doing to support these communities, and I'll be chairing a COBRA meeting later on to coordinate the national response. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I'll have further such meetings later today. Right, let's head up to Yorkshire with Alex Shelbrook. Alex Shelbrook. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and may I start by fully associating myself with all of the Prime Minister's opening comments. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister join me in welcoming the fact that free school meal pupils in Elmet and Rothwell will continue to receive free lunches over the forthcoming school holidays, thanks to the winter grant fund provided to Lee City Council by this government? Yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. I can confirm that eligible pupils in Leeds will continue to receive free school meal support over the February half-term, and this Conservative Government has given over £2 million to Leeds City Council through the Covid winter grant scheme to support vulnerable families in the coldest months, and it is the intention of this Government, this side of the House, that no child should go hungry this winter as a result of the Covid pandemic. Let's come to the Leader of the Opposition, Right Honourable Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I also welcome the inauguration of President Biden and Vice President Harris? It's a victory uh, for hope over hate and a real moment for optimism in the US and around the world. Can I also thank the, though all of those on the front line helping to deliver the vaccine, including the NHS, who are also doing so much to keep us safe under the most extraordinary pressure? Mr Speaker, it's 10 days since the Home Office mistakenly deleted hundreds of thousands of vital criminal records, including fingerprints, crime scene data and DNA records. So can the Prime Minister tell the House how many criminal investigations could have been damaged by this mistake? Well, Mr Speaker, the uh, Home Office is uh, actively working to assess the damage and as the right honourable gentleman will, will know from the uh, urgent question that was held in the House only a few days ago, uh, they believe that they will be able to uh, rectify the uh, results of this, uh, this complex incident and uh, there is, they hope very much that they will be able to uh, restore uh, the data in question. Mr Speaker, that is not an answer to my question. And it was the most basic of questions. It was the first question that any Prime Minister would have asked of those briefing him. How many criminal investigations have been damaged? So, so let me ask the second basic question that any Prime Minister would have asked those briefing him. How many convicted criminals 
have had their records wrongly deleted? I answered the first question entirely accurately, Mr Speaker, because we don't know how many, uh, how many cases might be frustrated as a result of what has happened, but I can tell him that there are 213,000 offence records, 175,000 arrest records and 15,000 person records are currently being investigated uh, because they are the subject of uh, this, this problem. Yes, Mr Speaker, I have a letter here from the National Police Chiefs Council. It makes it clear that 403,000 records from the police national computer may have been deleted. In addition to that, in addition to that, Prime Minister, this is from the National Police Chiefs Council. I'm sure has been briefed on this. In addition to that, 26,000 DNA records from the DNA uh, database and 30,000 fingerprint records from the fingerprints database. So this isn't just a technical issue. It's about criminals not being caught and victims not getting justice. This letter makes clear that it includes data from criminals convicted of serious offences. It has impacted live police investigations already, and it includes records, including DNA, marked for indefinite retention following the conviction for serious offences. Mr Speaker, that's the most serious offences. That's why it's indefinite retention. It's been deleted. So is the Prime Minister seriously telling us that 10 days after this incident came to light, he still hasn't got to the bottom of the basic questions and he can't tell us how many cases have been lost, how many serious offenders this concerns and how many police investigations have been investigated? Mr Speaker, it's becoming a feature of the Right Honourable Gentleman's questions that he fails to listen to the answer that I have just given. And uh, let me re repeat, because uh, he said that he, I think he gave a figure of 413,000. I've just done uh, some, so, some maths in, in, uh, briefly in my, in my head. And if you look at the, if you add uh, 213,000, 175,000, uh, you get uh, to uh, plus 15,000, which are the numbers I get, Mr. Speaker, you get to 403,000. If only he bothered uh, to do that essential, that, that swift computation in his head, uh, he would have had the answer before he stood up and claimed not to receive it. It was there in the previous answer, Mr. Speaker. Uh, of course, uh, of course, uh, it is outrageous that uh, any data should have been uh, lost. But at the moment, uh, we are trying, as I said. In my first answer, Mr. Speaker, we're trying, which I hope he heard, we're trying to retrieve that data. The Prime Minister complains about not listening to answers. The figure I quoted was 403,000. That'll be in Hansard. So, Prime Minister, uh, uh, that was the figure plus the 26,000 plus, I said 403,000 plus 26,000 plus 30,000. Let me try the next most simple question, Prime Minister, that you would have asked of anyone briefing. How long? How long will it take for all the wrongly deleted records to be re reinstated to the police database? Prime Minister. Well, uh, that will depend on uh, how long uh, it takes to recover them. I can tell them that people are working around uh, the clock, having been briefed on this both, both by uh, my staff and also, of course, by the, uh, the policing minister. Uh, we're working around the clock on this, on this issue. And uh, any loss of uh, data is, of course, unacceptable. But it is this government, thanks to the robust, the strong economy that we've had uh, for the last few years, that we've been able to invest massively in policing and to drive uh, crime down. Uh, and that is the most important thing of all, Mr. Speaker. And I, and I have no doubt uh, that we will be able to continue to do that by relying on excellent data. Yes, Dharma. 
Mr Speaker, the Home Secretary said that the Home Office was still washing through the data. We don't know where the records are, and they may have to be, if you can believe this, re-entered manually, which will obviously take a long, long time. The letter from the National Police uh, Chiefs Council also makes clear that the obvious place to reinstate from, which is the DNA database or the fingerprint database, have themselves also been compromised. And so his answers need to be seen in that light. Mr Speaker, let me turn to another of the Home Secretary's responsibilities. Last night, the Home Secretary told a Conservative Party event that, and these were her words, on should we have closed our borders earlier, the answer is yes. I was an advocate, says the Home Secretary, of closing them last March. Why did the Prime Minister overrule the Home Secretary? Mr Speaker, I think it was uh, last March that the Right Honourable Gentleman, along with uh, many others, was actually saying that we didn't need uh, to close borders. But as, as usual, uh, Captain Hindsight has, has changed his tune to suit uh, events. Uh, we are facing, uh, we are facing, and it's interesting that his first few questions were about a computer glitch uh, in the Home Office, Mr Speaker, which we're trying to rectify. We're in the middle of a national pandemic, and, we're, uh, and this country is facing a very, very grave death toll. And we are doing everything we can to protect the British public, which is, I think, what he would, uh, he would expect. And that's why uh, we've instituted one of the toughest border regimes in the world. That's why we insist that you have to get a test uh, 72 hours before you, uh, before you, you fly. Uh, there must be a passenger uh, locator form, which you have to provide, Mr Speaker. And then you must quarantine uh, for 10 days or five days if you do a second, uh, a second test. And uh, it's all very, I, I'm delighted that he now praises uh, the Home Secretary. It's a good change of tune uh, from the Right Honourable... <laughs> Uh, gentlemen, I am delighted that he's now in favour of tough border controls because he wasn't last year, uh, Mr. Speaker. And indeed, uh, he campaigned for the leadership of the Labour Party on a manifesto to get back to free movement, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, sir. Mr. Speaker, he talks of hindsight. What the, what the Home Secretary said last night, Prime Minister, it's not disputed. It's not disputed. Is that she was saying last March? This is not hindsight. She, the Home Secretary, was saying to the Prime Minister, "You need to shut your borders." She was saying it. So I repeat the question that the Prime Minister avoided. Why did, he, why did he overrule the Home Secretary who claims that she said last March that we should shut our borders? Mr Speaker, we've instituted one of the toughest border regimes in the world, and it was only last March that he, along with many others in his party, uh, were continuing to support uh, an open border approach. And I must say that the whole uh, experience of listening to the right honourable gentleman over the last few months uh, has, has really been uh, like listening to a, a, a weather vane, watching a weather vane spin round and round, depending on where the, the, the breezes uh, are, are blowing. And we're getting on, Mr Speaker, uh, with tackling this pandemic through the most practical means that are available to us, rolling out a vaccine programme that has now inoculated 4.2 million people in our country, and uh, whereas he would have joined uh, the EU scheme, if I seem to remember, he attacked the vaccine task force, uh, which secured the supplies on which we are now relying, and uh, he stood on a manifesto, Mr Speaker, at the last election uh, to unbundle the very uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, on whose breakthroughs this country is is now relying. They continue to look backwards, uh, to play politics, uh, to snipe from the sidelines. We look forwards and get on with the job. Let the weather vane take me up to Aylesbury with Rob Butler. Rob Butler.
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The national rollout of COVID-19 vaccinations is an absolutely tremendous success story. But it's only in the past few days that over 80-year-olds in Aylesbury have been able to get their first jabs. And many of my constituents have contacted me to say they're frustrated and worried that they've been either forgotten or pushed to the back of the queue. So can my right honourable friend assure them that everyone in the Aylesbury area in the most vulnerable groups will be vaccinated by the middle of February? Minister. I thank my honourable friend for everything he does to, to fight for the interests of the people of, of Aylesbury, and I can confirm that we are on track to uh, deliver our, our pledge, though it is very hard. I must stress to the House it is very hard because of uh, constraints on supply. We are on track to deliver a first vaccine to everyone in the top four cohorts uh, by mid-February, including the people of Aylesbury. Let's head up to Scotland with the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This afternoon, millions around the world will breathe a massive sigh of relief when President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris are sworn into office. The democratic removal of Donald Trump gives us all hope that better days are ahead of us, that days will be a little bit brighter. Turning the page on the dark chapter of Trump's presidency isn't solely the responsibility of President Joe Biden. It is also the responsibility of those in the Tory party, including the Prime Minister, who cozied up to Donald Trump and his callous worldview. Mr Speaker, this morning, the former Prime Minister, the member for Maidenhead, accused the current Prime Minister of abandoning moral responsibility on the world stage by slashing international aid. So if today is to be a new chapter, if today is to be a new start, will the Prime Minister begin by reversing his cruel policy of cutting international aid for the world's poorest. Uh, Mr Speaker, I uh, think it's very important that the Prime Minister of the UK has the best possible relationship uh, with the President of the United States. That's, that's part of the, of the job description, as I think all sensible uh, members opposite would, uh, would acknowledge. And when it comes to global leadership on the world stage, this country is embarking on a quite phenomenal year. And we've already, uh, with, the, with the G7, with COP26, uh, we, and we've already uh, led the world with the, the Gavi Summit uh, for Global Vaccination, uh, raising $8.8 billion. It was the UK, the first country, first major country in the world to set a target of net zero carbon emissions by 2050. All other countries are, are following. We hope that President Biden uh, will, will join us. We're working uh, to promote global free trade. And of course, uh, Mr Speaker, we'll work with President Biden to secure transatlantic, the Transatlantic Alliance and NATO, which of course the Scottish Nationalist Party uh, would unbundle. Well, I think they would. I don't know what their policy is uh, on, uh, on our armed services. I think they would break them up. They're, perhaps they'd like to explain. It's the Scottish National Party. I know you keep having a memory lapse on it. Ian Blackford. <laughs> I somehow think we've lost Ian Blackford. We'll come back to him. Nicole Richards. Nicola, you're muted. Press the mic. I'm not muted. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. Speak. Get the question. The Prime Minister's desperate. Can you can you hear me? It's not working. 
We'll now move on. We'll come back. We're now going to move on to Ed Davey. Have we got Ed Davey? Good morning. Good afternoon, Mr Speaker. Can I add my warmest of welcomes to President Biden and Vice President Harris on their inauguration in Washington today? Mr Speaker, in answer to my question in July, the Prime Minister promised an independent inquiry into the UK's response to COVID. In the six months since, COVID cases have soared, our NHS is on its knees, and 50,000 more people have died. The UK now has one of the highest death rates in the world, higher even than Trump's America. To learn the lessons from what's gone so devastatingly wrong under his leadership, will the Prime Minister commit to launching the inquiry he promised last year, this year? Prime Minister. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, he, he, he answers his own question with the preamble that he set out. The NHS is under unprecedented pressure. Uh, our, 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 the entire British state that is trying to fight COVID and to roll out the biggest vaccination programme in the history of our country. Uh, and that includes virtually every single arm of officialdom. The idea that we should now consecrate state resources, vast state resources, uh, to an inquiry now in the middle of the, of the pandemic does not, I think, uh, seem sensible uh, to me, and I don't believe it would seem sensible uh, to members of the House. But of course uh, we will learn lessons in due course, and of course there will be a time to reflect and to prepare for the next, uh, for the next pandemic. Let's reconnect with Ian Blackford for his second question. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And I think people would find the Prime Minister's claims about the UK's global leadership a bit more believable if last night he hadn't ordered his MPs to vote down an amendment to the trade bill that would have stopped trade deals with countries who commit genocide. Mr Speaker, genocide isn't a matter of history. It is happening in our world right now. The international community has stood idly by as Uyghur Muslim men, women and children are forced into concentration camps in China's Xinjiang province. Yesterday, the outgoing US Secretary of State officially said that genocide was taking place and the incoming Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, agrees with his view. Is the Prime Minister prepared to follow that lead? Is he prepared to stand up today and clearly state that genocide is being committed against the Uyghur population in China. If he is, will he urgently work with the new Biden administration? Prime, Prime Minister. UN Security Council Prime Minister. National pressure can be brought to bear on China. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Right Honourable Gentleman knows very well that uh, uh, the attribution of genocide is a, is a judicial uh, matter, uh, but I can say for myself that I regard what, in ha what is happening in, uh, in uh, Xinjiang and what's happening to the Uyghurs as utterly uh, abhorrent, and I know that members on all sides of the House uh, share that view. And I, I commend to him the excellent statement by my Right Honourable Friend, uh, the Secretary of State for the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, uh, very recently uh, on, uh, on what was happening there and the steps we are taking. Uh, to protect, uh, to prevent uh, British commercial engagement uh, with goods that are made by forced labour in uh, Xinjiang, and the, and the measures we are, t the, the steps we are taking 
uh, against uh, uh, what is happening. But I, I, what, I, what I might ask him, in all sincerity, is uh, what he would propose by way of a, uh, a Scottish uh, national, or not nationalist, but national uh, foreign policy. Would he break up the Foreign Office? Would he break up the F FCDO, which, after all, has a big branch in East Kilbride? Letters then to West Bromwich again with Nitla Richards. Nitla Richards. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Next week we mark Holocaust Memorial Day. Remember the six million Jewish men, women and children murdered by the Nazis and pay tribute to the extraordinary survivors. Will the Prime Minister join me in thanking the Holocaust Educational Trust for organising a live webcast for students across the country to tune in and hear the testimony of survivor Eve Kugler on the 26th of January and ask all members to encourage their schools to join Q3 Academy Great Bar from West Bromwich East in taking part. Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is absolutely right to uh, warn us of the need to continue to inoculate our, our populations, ourselves, against the wretched virus of anti-Semitism, uh, which has a tendency to uh, re recur and reinfect societies, including, uh, tragically, our own. And I, of course, am very happy uh, to join uh, my honourable friend in encouraging all members to ask all schools, as uh, the excellent uh, Q3 Academy in Great Bar is, is doing, to tune in to the event that she mentions. Head to Yorkshire with Alexander Stafford. Alexander Stafford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Both I and many residents across Rother Valley are very concerned about crime, drug use, including from nitrous oxide capsules and antisocial behaviour. Will the Prime Minister back my campaign and call on the Labour Police and Crime Commissioner for South Yorkshire to restore a police presence and even reopen a police station on Dillington High Street? Stop. Ah, oh, uh, Mr. Speaker, well, I, there could be there could be there could be no more uh, fervent and uh, effective advocate uh, for the people of Rother Valley than my honourable friend, and I'm sure I'm sure that he has much support uh, for his campaign for a uh, for a police station. Uh, I hope that uh, a solution can be found. In the meantime, I can reassure him that we are making sure that there will be the police officers, the police men and women, to put in that uh, police station, because as you know, uh, we are delivering, Mr. Speaker, on our commitment to have 20,000 more police over the lifetime of this Parliament. Let's head over to Northern Ireland with Claire Hanna. Claire Hanna. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Uh, Prime Minister, contrary to the view of every political party here and all of those involved in logistics and retail, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland said last week that there's no border in the Irish Sea and that disruption to supplies was a COVID issue and nothing to do uh, with Brexit or the protocol. The papers are reporting your plans to woo the Biden administration through the topic of Northern Ireland as they and we try to move on from Trump and Trumpism. Would being straight with the people in Northern Ireland not be a good start? Mr Speaker, as the, as the Honourable Lady I think uh, may know, uh, from what I said, I think, to the Liaison Committee several times, the proof of the pudding uh, is in the eating. Actually, there's more transit now taking place uh, between, uh, between uh, Larne and, uh, and Stranraab and Ken Ryan uh, than there is between Holyhead and Dublin, because it's, it's going so smoothly. Let's head up to Harborough with Neil O'Brien. Neil O'Brien. Mr Speaker, thank you. Um, the, um, I'm so sorry. The... Um, uh, it's excellent that we are leading Europe in It's excellent that we are leading Europe in vaccinations, and it's excellent that uh, we now have strong health borders. But as the virus bounces around the world, it, there is a real risk that it will mutate and be able to dodge the vaccines or reduce their efficacy. And there's concerning data from South Africa in that respect. 
Will the government develop a new rapid pathway to allow the approval of new variations of the vaccines so that we can shut down any new strains quickly? Prime Minister. Uh, yes, indeed. He, uh, my honourable friend makes an incredibly important point, and uh, we've been talking about that with the, uh, the scientists uh, over the last uh, uh, days and weeks intensively, uh, and just in the last few hours. And uh, we're confident that the MHRA will be in a position uh, to turn around new applications uh, for, for new variants of vaccines as may be required to deal with new variants of the virus, Mr. Speaker. Let's go to Lancashire with Rosie Cooper. Rosie Cooper. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Lorries containing food produce sitting idle for days is a stark reminder that if post-Brexit Britain is to be self-sufficient, protecting our food production through infrastructure investment is crucial. So could the Prime Minister provide the infrastructure investment essential to tackling flooding in West Lancashire by giving the Environment, Environment Agency enough funding both to keep the old crossings pumps operational and to maintain the watercourses. This will be vital to ensure that the rich food producing lands of West Lancashire, essential to the security of food supplies and our local and national economy, Prime are better defended, as well as protecting... Prime Minister, Prime Minister, we've got to get through the questions, the Prime Minister. I'm Mr. Speaker. I could have heard almost any amount about the rich food producing parts of West Lancashire because she's entirely right, and we will protect those areas. And she's entirely right to call for for flood defences. That's why we put 5.2 billion pounds over six years into flood defences, including including the Crossens pumping station refurbishment scheme, which the honourable lady mentions, which we've invested in, which we've invested 5.7 million pounds to protect. You know, 4,000 homes. I said to Devon with Suguri Street. To Suguri. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, the South West has an ambitious programme to build back better in both the green and blue sectors, investing in both clean growth and marine high-tech clusters. But to do so, we will need continued investment in our infrastructure. Will my right honourable friend assure us that levelling up does not just involve the North, but every region of the United Kingdom, including the Southwest. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Speaker, the uh, uh, potential of the Southwest, the greater Southwest, is enormous, and uh, particularly in the, uh, in the areas of, uh, of green uh, technology, of, of blue and green technology, and he can be assured uh, that uh, we will uh, be giving um, massive investment in infrastructure to support that green industrial revolution in the Southwest, as well as in all parts of the UK. They said, staying in Devon with Ben Bradshaw. Ben Bradshaw. When the Prime Minister told fishermen in the southwest that they would not face new export barriers or unnecessary form filling, and when he told Britain's musicians and artists that they would still be free to tour and work in the rest of the European Union after Brexit, neither of those statements were correct, were they, Prime Minister? Mr. Speaker, it is uh, it is absolutely true that uh, some uh, British fishermen uh, have faced barriers at the at the present time owing to. Uh, complications over form filling, and indeed, uh, one of the biggest problems uh, is that, uh, alas, uh, there is a decline in appetite for uh, for fish in continental markets, just because of most of the restaurants, as he knows, are shut. But the reality is uh, that Brexit uh, it will deliver and is delivering a huge uplift in uh, in quota, uh, 
uh, already in the next uh, five years, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, uh, and by 2026, the, the Fishing people of this country will have access to all the fish in all the territorial waters of this country, and to get them ready, to get them ready uh, for that, uh, El Dorado, uh, Mr. Speaker, we're investing 100 million pounds in, uh, uh, in improving our boats, our fish processing industry, and getting uh, fishing ready for the opportunities ahead. Um, Seven Oaks, we're going to with Laura Trot. Laura Trot. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And can I thank the Prime Minister and the Health Secretary for the recent strength and guidance to allow parents access to neonatal intensive care units whenever they need to in this pandemic. Can the Prime Minister confirm that compliance with this guidance will be monitored? And can he reassure parents once and for all that we know that they are integral to their child's care in hospital and they are not just visitors? Prime Minister. Absolutely, Mr. Speaker. Uh, my honourable friend is, uh, is, is, I know that she knows of what she speaks, and she's completely right uh, to say that partners uh, uh, in care should not be, uh, their partners in care, they should not be considered as uh, visitors. Uh, that's why the current uh, guidance has been put in place. And yes, Mr. Speaker, we'll, we'll, we will be monitoring it to ensure uh, that it is observed. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On the 7th of March of this year, my constituent, Nazanin Zaghari Radcliffe's mm. unjustified five-year prison sentence will finally come to an end. Could I ask the Prime Minister what assurances has he had from the Iranian authorities that Nazanin will have her ankle tag removed, that she will get her British passport back, and that she will be allowed to board a flight back to the UK in 45 days' time? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can tell the uh, Honourable Lady, who I know has campaigned hard and well uh, on behalf of her uh, constituent, and, and quite rightly, uh, that uh, we're working uh, virtually around the clock to secure the release of all the dual nationals uh, that uh, concern us in, uh, in, in Tehran. And uh, without going into the, into the details of the cases, which, is, as she knows, are, are, are complex, uh, we're doing everything we can to secure the, uh, the, what we regard as the completely unjustified uh, detention in Tehran of Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, though, as she knows, uh, she is now out on furlough, I I admittedly, in, in the conditions that she describes. I send up to Yorkshire with Jason McCartney. Jason McCartney. Thank you, Mr Speaker. With Yorkshire leading the way in the vaccine rollout, does the Prime Minister agree that once we've vaccinated the most vulnerable, the elderly and our wonderful health and social care workers, we should then look at prioritising vaccinating police officers, emergency service workers, carers, teachers, nursery staff and all those whose essential daily work brings them into contact with other people? Mr. Speaker, my honourable friend is a, is a great advocate for his constituents in, in, in Coal Valley, and I much enjoy my exchanges with him, and I can thank him for what he's saying about uh, those groups. Uh, we must rely on what the JCVI has to say, the, the, the priorities that uh, the experts uh, have decided, uh, but of course we, uh, we want to see those, those groups that he mentions vaccinated as, as soon as possible. I'm very pleased uh, that in spite of all the difficulties in supply, last week we gave uh, 1.5 million people uh, their first, first dose, Mr Speaker, up uh, half a million on the week before. Let's head up to Scotland with Stuart C Macdonald. Stuart C Macdonald. Mr Speaker, when we praise our social care workers for their immense response to the pandemic, that includes over 100,000 care workers from the EU. 
But new research from the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants shows many of them don't know anything about the Prime Minister's EU settlement scheme, and many more don't know that they must apply by the end of June, so we could see thousands of essential care workers and possibly hundreds of thousands of valued EU nationals losing their rights to live and work here overnight on 1st of July. So will the Prime Minister please cancel or postpone the application deadline, or better still, extend the rights of EU nationals in the UK automatically, just as he previously promised to do? Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I thank him for what he's done just now to draw attention to, to the scheme. But I, I must say that I must disagree with him respectfully about the ignorance in which the, uh, our, our wonderful EU nationals have been, because four million of them, uh, Mr Speaker, have uh, successfully applied uh, and been given residence, uh, Mr Speaker, thanks to uh, the, the scheme that we've instituted. And it's a great success. We pay uh, tribute to uh, the wonderful EU uh, nationals in our country who do a fantastic job for this country. Let's head up to Northampton with Andrew Lewis. Andrew Lewis. Uh, thank you very much, Mr Speaker. For, for many years, my right honourable friend wrote humorous articles that nevertheless made serious points about individual freedom and the dangers of over-regulation. The Department of Health and Social Care is currently consulting on how to increase regulations on food advertising significantly. Can my right honourable friend reassure me that any implementation of this consultation will be in line with his and my long-held principles. Uh, indeed, Mr Speaker, I remain a champion of liberty in all its aspects, but I'm also the living embodiment of the risks of obesity, uh, Mr Speaker. And uh, there's no question uh, that it is a comorbidity factor in, uh, in the pandemic. And I think that's something that the people of this country understand, and they understand that it is all of our individual responsibility to do what we can to get healthy, to stay healthy, because that's one of the ways, Mr Speaker, we can all help protect our NHS. Let's head to Poplar with Apsana Begum. Apsana. Doctors, researchers, experts, campaigners and my constituents, of whom just under two-thirds are from BAME backgrounds, including a large Bangladeshi population, have all observed the COVID-19 pandemic disproportionately affecting BAME communities. The Royal College of GPs have even requested these communities be prioritised for vaccine rollout. Will the Prime Minister finally recognise that this disparity is as a result of structural racism? And can you outline what his government are doing to address this issue? She, she makes, I, I don't agree with her last point, but she makes a very important point about the need to, to reach, uh, hard to reach groups in, in society. And uh, that's why it's so important that the, the vaccine uh, rollout is not just conducted by the, the NHS and the army and pharmacists and volunteers, but uh, in, in coordination uh, with local government at all, at all levels, because it is local government that will know uh, where we need to, to go, uh, as I'm sure she would understand, to make sure that we reach those groups uh, who we must vaccinate and who may be a little bit vaccine hesitant, as the jargon has it. Well, I said to Stafford with Theo Clark. Theo Clark. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Over the last week, there has been yet again very significant flooding in Stafford. Unfortunately, my constituents in Penkridge, Central Stafford and Bishopswood are regularly experiencing the disruption and distress that flooding causes. So will my right honourable friend commit to my campaign to establish a flood control centre in Stafford that residents can call directly, which will provide 24-7 assistance for my constituents affected by flooding? Minister. 
I have every sympathy for uh, the residents of, of Stafford who have been affected by, by flooding, as with everybody who has been affected by flooding in the, in the, in the latest bout. And uh, what, I can, what I can say to uh, my honourable friend is that the uh, Environment Agency uh, is working uh, hand in glove with her local uh, authority and other partners to find a, a particular solution to the flooding uh, in Sandon Road and, and Sandyford Brook. Let's head up to Thamesmead with Abena Apong Asari. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituency is served by two local councils. Recently, Bexley has taken emergency action to shed hundreds of jobs, while Greenwich needs to make 20 million of cuts in their upcoming budget. Last year, the Secretary of State for Communities promised councils whatever it takes to get through the pandemic. So why instead is the Prime Minister dropping a council tax bombshell and asking my constituents to pay for his promises? Prime Minister. Well, speaking of the last time I looked, Bexley was a Conservative council and Greenwich was, uh, was Labour, which may explain uh, part of the, uh, of the problem. But, more, but the, the reality is that we're supporting every, uh, we're supporting every council we've supported with £4.6 billion uh, of support for local government so far during the, the pandemic. Uh, but uh, I think that the, when, she, when she raises council tax, perhaps she could have a word with her friend, the Mayor of London, uh, who's threatening to put up his uh, council tax by 10%, Mr Speaker. Our final question is from Cornwall with Derek Thomas. Derek Thomas. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The announcement by my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, that the G7 summit is to take place in Carpus Bay in June presents a tremendous opportunity for my constituency and, of course, the Duchy of Cornwall. Firstly, can I thank the Prime Minister for this and can I ask whether he shares my belief that the G7 summit offers a perfect opportunity to secure a global commitment to embrace and accelerate our ambitious low-carbon industrial revolution? Minister. Mr. Big, I, I, I do, I do in, indeed, and uh, I believe that uh, the the G7 summit in 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 Carbis Bay will not only be an opportunity to to bring the world together to tackle uh, COVID, uh, to to build back better, to to champion global free trade, to combat uh, climate change, but also to showcase that wonderful part of the of the United Kingdom uh, and uh, all the incredible technological developments happening there, Newquay space, Spaceport, Goonhilly Earth uh, Station and the lithium mining, uh, the lithium mining uh, that's going on there show that Cornwall, uh, having led the way, uh, I seem to remember, I think the Romans mined tin in Cornwall, didn't they? I, think, I have a feeling they did, Mr Speaker, uh, and, uh, and indeed the copper mines are at the heart of the, uh, of the UK Industrial Revolution. Uh, what is going on in Cornwall today uh, shows that Cornwall is once again at the heart of the 21st century UK Green Industrial Revolution. Yeah. I've suspended house for three minutes to enable the necessary arrangements for the next business to be made. Order.